Welcome to season two of Nuances Beyond First Impressions with the Asian Diaspora. Together, we wanted to create a safe space where everyone can learn more about our diverse communities, the complicated relationships we have with our culture, and how they intersect with feminism, queerness, disability, anti-racism, career choices, politics, and more. I'm Ariadne Miller, a Filipino-American from a small town on the southern border of Texas. And I'm Sherilyn Lee, a.k.a. Lazu, a new American originally from the only place a dodo bird ever lived, Mauritius. If you have any aging loved ones, today's episode is an important one. Our guest today is passionate about providing care for dementia patients, as well as raising awareness for dementia and Alzheimer's. Before we get into our conversation with our guest, I want to share some statistics about dementia and put that in the context of the Asian diaspora. I will link all of this information in the show notes, so be sure to check nuancespod.com for this episode's show notes for references. Here are the stats. Every three seconds, someone in the world develops dementia. In 2020, there were 55 million people living with dementia worldwide, with 7 million of these in the U.S. The global number is expected to reach 78 million by 2030 and 139 million by 2050. Several studies show that the prevalence of dementia varies based on ethnic groups. However, research is only beginning to explore the prevalence of dementia in the Asian diaspora. In a 2016 study, Kaiser Permanente and University of California, San Francisco showed that dementia risk for people over 65 was highest among African Americans, moderate among Latino Pacific Islanders and whites, and lowest among Asian Americans. However, the study was based on dementia diagnosis and did not differentiate between Asian American subgroups. They acknowledge that differences in education and attitudes toward what is considered normal aging might have contributed to the lower rate of diagnosis in Asian Americans. There is also evidence that black persons with dementia were at higher risk of underdiagnosis than their white counterparts. There is no data on whether this is also true for the Asian population yet. However, 34% of Asian Americans seeking Alzheimer care report facing some form of discrimination compared to only 9% of white Americans. This is according to the Alzheimer's Association. A follow-up study in 2018 explored the differences among several Asian American subgroups and found that Filipino Americans had the highest risk, followed by Japanese and Chinese Americans. Not enough data was available for Vietnamese, Korean, and South Asian subgroups. Still, overall, Asian Americans had a lower incidence rate than white Americans. I think it is important for us to talk about dementia on this podcast because, according to The Lancet, 40% of dementia cases could be prevented or delayed through education and lifestyle changes. However, within the Asian diaspora, there is often lack of awareness that may be contributing to delayed diagnosis and treatment. In a 2017 study, almost half of the Asian Americans sampled believed that dementia is a natural part of aging, but for Vietnamese Americans, make that 63%. Korean Americans were the most informed about Alzheimer's and dementia, while Chinese were the least. There is also the issue of stigma when it comes to considering nursing homes or home care. 30% of the sampled Asian American women felt that it was not right to move someone with dementia into a nursing home. Filipino, Vietnamese, and Indian Americans were the most resistant to the idea, while Korean Americans had the least reservations against it at 15.8%. As we'll hear in our interview today, sometimes good intentions don't always translate to the best care possible. If you're interested in learning more about the early signs of dementia, as well as lifestyle changes that can help prevent or delay dementia, I will have all these links in the show notes at nuancespod.com. 
I will also include the academic references that I used for this intro in the show notes. A couple of terms that you might not be familiar with. A-levels are a standardized examination administered by Cambridge University at the end of high school. It's similar to the advanced placement system in the U.S. Hakka is an ethnic group within China and is also the language that that ethnic group speaks. Many Mauritians of Chinese descent are Hakka, including myself and our guest. Now let's get into our conversation with Nicholas Kimiu. Nicholas Kimiu is a Chinese Mauritian British award-winning care home manager based in London. He was recently awarded the British Citizen Award Medal at the Palace of Westminster and has won several National Dementia Awards. When he is not taking care of his patients, he is often volunteering and fundraising for dementia research. He also recently completed a half marathon in London. Nicholas, thank you so much for being here. We're excited to chat with you. Hi, Ari. Hi, Sherin. Thank you so much as well for inviting me. Of course. You're welcome. Why don't you start telling us a little bit about your background? What took you to London and how did you choose your current career path? Sure. In 2006, I failed my A-level. I didn't want to repeat my A-level. So I was looking at university in Australia or even France. And my sister was already in the UK. So I came in the UK because it was cheaper. I started my journey in Kea in 2006. When I came in the UK in March, I was trying to find a job in McDonald's, in the shops, but I couldn't find a job. And then my sister's friend recommended a care home. I started as a housekeeper, as a cleaner in a care home part-time. Mm -hmm. Because in the day, when you're on a student visa, you can't work more than 20 hours. I've done cleaning for six or seven months. I really enjoy. And mm -hmm. then one day, short of carer, they asked me if I want to be a carer. It was the first time I'd done this job. I really enjoyed it. I was looking forward every Saturday, Sunday to go to work. Mm -hmm. And then started from 2006. I became a domestic carer, supervisor, deputy manager, and then care home manager. So that's why I came in the UK and then I stayed here. I've been here 16 years now. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Time flies. You're doing a master's as well, right? I just graduated and I'm starting mm -hmm. my PhD in January in dementia at University of Selling. Nice. That's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. It's a really cool story. You failed the A-level, you decided, okay, I'm going to make this work either way. You just went for it and you actually found something that you really loved, which is really cool. What does a day in the life of a care home manager look like? I think it's a rewarding job. It's not every day the same. I can go to work and then something can happen. But for me, it's what I'm really passionate is for the elderly, looking after the resident. We call them resident in the UK. I think in America, they call them clients or customer. And also for me, it's about trying to support my team because the care home I work at the moment is a non-profit organization. We have 60 residents with dementia. About, you know, being the leader, supporting them, managing the businesses, supporting the team in terms of making decisions mm -hmm. and also bring the highest standard care because that's why the residents are in our care home for us to look after them. But it is challenging, especially during COVID. However, I'm still doing the job. I've been doing it for 16 years. It's a very rewarding job. A lot of people now are joining this sector. Especially during the pandemic, I noticed that because the hotels was closing, the restaurant was closing, we did get a lot of people who joined the care sector. For me, working in a care home is something that really makes me feel blessed and honored as well. I chose this sector. I could have done something different because when I came to the UK, I came to the accountancy. For me, it's something that I'm really passionate, maybe because my granddad had Alzheimer's back home in Mauritius. Mm -hmm. And it's something that touched me, Alzheimer's, and also making a difference in people's life. You do get a lot of blessing as well from the resident. 
from family who really praise you, who really encourage you. Mm-hmm. So that's something really inspired me as well to be in this sector. <laughs> I didn't know that your granddad had Alzheimer's. That must have been pretty hard on your family. Yes, that was in 2002. Uh-huh. But back home in Mauritius, healthcare is different. He's been officially diagnosed, but there is denial from the family coming from a Chinese community. Uh-huh. But at that time, I was 15 or 16. I recognized the sign. Mm-hmm. But at night, he was repeating himself. Mm-hmm. He don't know who is his son. He didn't know who I was. He was asking me, what's your name? But even now, my family is still in dinner. They say it's not Alzheimer's. Unfortunately, in our community, in Asian community, Alzheimer's is a taboo. <laughs> Dementia is, is a taboo. People don't talk about, which they should be talking. That is something that we definitely wanted to talk to you about. I think dementia, but also elderly care in general, is a very tricky subject in Asian culture. Not to generalize, I don't know about all the Asian cultures, but I know that many of them. There's the expectation that your grandparents or your elderly people in your family, you should take care of them and they should live with you all the signs of dementia, they're usually just brushed off, as you said, as, oh, he's just old. That's just what happens. So have you seen that in your Asian patients as well, where the patients or the families are in denial? How has your experience been as a care provider when dealing with Asian families who maybe are still in denial about these things? I think maybe for me, let me start with my own personal family life. My cousin's father-in-law was diagnosed with dementia. That was in 2017 or 18. Even though I work in the care sector, I was trying to convince my cousin and her family that they can't look after their father-in-law. The best thing was for him to move to a care home where he can have 24-hour care. Mm-hmm. It was quite a tricky conversation because a lot of the time she was in denial. She was saying, no, it's old age. They can manage. They can do that. But a lot of us, we can't look after our parents. I think in the UK, it has changed in the last five, six years, I must say. Mm-hmm. I met a lot of Asian, Southeast Asian family originally from Hong Kong, mostly, or from, from Singapore. We have a lot of Hong Kongese and Singapore in the UK. For them, is um, their children can't look after them and they have no choice. But then with the dementia, they forget to speak to English. They go back to their mother tongue. However, I think society is changing. There is a lot of campaigns that are being done by Alzheimer's society, for example, using people like me, for example, Chinese, representing dementia. Slowly, people are changing. But I did get one or two questions from family members saying, you look like me. How do you cope with that? It's a shame for our family. But then for me, we assure them, I say, you can't look after them. You have a full-time job, you know, sometimes as well, going in a care home, for example, there's more activities there, there's 24-hour care, there's more things for their mom, for their husband or wife to do. They get more stimulation, they will meet people, they will do activities, they will do fun things, compared to sitting at home and just watching TV. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm a big advocate about dementia. I run some groups on Facebook and I also volunteer for China Exchange. For me, it's to really support the family as well. Everyone has their own questions. Everyone has their worries. Mm -hmm. But if I have dementia, for example, I would expect my partner to make sure that I go in a care home. I can do things. I can still do things. I can go out. I can do gardening instead of just sitting at home and watching TV. Yeah. There's a lot of guilt that comes with the idea of having to put your parents in home care, even though it's true what you're saying. It's tough. Mm -hmm. Like we have full time jobs. We can't take care of them. But Mm -hmm. it's almost like we feel like we're not repaying them. 
I don't think so. I think we need to change our mentality. There's a lot of advertisement. I was approached one time a couple of years ago about a job opportunity in China to open care homes. There's a lot of care homes as well in Hong Kong. I think the mentality is changing now because it's not about guilt. If you really love your, your if your mom or dad has worked very hard all their life, you want the best care for them. I think people need to make that best interest decision, for example, and also what's advantages of being in a care home, for example, or home care, because there is areas where, where carers can come in the house and look after them two or three times a week. I think they need to really speak out, seek advice as well. I don't know in America, but in the UK, we have lots of support from charities. We have Age UK, for example, which I'm a trustee, where we give advice as well to, to family members to people who've just been diagnosed with dementia. You need to circle yourself with lots of people, with people who's been through it as well. There's a lot of books as well. There's a lot of materials on the internet. There's lots of videos on YouTube. We are more educated now. We are more aware. It's changing. The mentality is changing. Yeah. One issue I've heard about was when the parent themselves are in denial or they don't understand the level of care that they need. And then they make their children feel guilty. They say, oh, you're putting me in a home because you don't love me anymore. The people putting them in the home, they make them feel guilty about abandoning them, really. They feel like they're being abandoned and they're basically getting rid of them. So how do you help these families navigate that? Because I've heard stories from people I know where their parent has dementia and they know that person needs 24-7 care, but that person does not agree with that. <laughs> how do you navigate that? Mm -hmm. I have some experiences where people have been telling me about their mom or dad don't like the care home. But I think they need to listen to their mom or dad. If their mom and dad is saying they don't like that place, maybe it's the wrong care home, for example, it's the wrong area. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's something that is missing. Maybe they're not visiting that often. Sometimes as well, we need to listen to the person, what they're asking. Also as well, choosing the right care home can be the key because I know a lot of residents where they didn't want to go in a care home. Now they're really enjoying it. Their personality has changed. They're making friends. They got boyfriend now. They're going out. They're going shopping. They're putting makeup on. It's choosing the right care. But I think it's important for everyone to have that conversation when the dementia starts at the beginning. Mm -hmm. It's very important to plan ahead, especially, let's say, for example, if a daughter notices that their dad is forgetting about his cause, he's forgetting about days, time. Have that conversation at the beginning. Why would you like to do that? Where do you want to go? How are we going to help? Help you if the dementia progress, seek advice and so on, is planning ahead. It's really hard for children to hear from their mom or dad saying, oh, you abandoned me. But it's not, they're not. They, they have to think outside the box. It's either they just give up their life, they give up work, which I've seen people doing that. It's very hard to look after someone with dementia. Even me as a carer, you get very emotionally, you get stressed. You take it on board, but looking after your own parents is very hard as well. Mm -hmm. So they have to look after themselves as well. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you because people who are in the care sector like you, you are trained mm -hmm. to help these people. And most of us are not equipped to take care of somebody with dementia. And sometimes we don't know what the best thing to do is. And maybe the things we are doing that we think is helping is actually not helping. <laughs> Absolutely. I remember one of the residents, actually she was from Hong Kong. The wife had dementia, but the husband, I think he was in his 80s, very passionate husband. He was trying to do everything for his wife. 
It was feeding her, trying to do everything. And the wife lost her dexterity. She couldn't do anything because at home, the husband do everything because they, they don't understand the dementia. They, they think that pampering like baby will help them, but it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you're comfortable sharing and if you're not, that's okay. But you did mention finding the right care home is important. Can you elaborate a little bit? Not mentioning any companies or anything, but just in general, what do you look for? How do you decide? How do you decide even between home care and sending them to a care home? Sure. I think the first thing that family should do if you have children is to sit down together and talk as a family. Because if you have three kids, all of them should have shared responsibilities. There's two types of care, home care or care home. Home care is where the carers will come in the house and do their personal care, cleaning, cooking, go shopping for them. Elderly who are quite independent, whose level of care are quite low. But if someone's dementia has really progressed and it's not safe for that person to stay in their own house, let's say, for example, if at nighttime she's going out, she's leaving the front door open, she's opening the door to anyone where she's at risk of going missing, then maybe seek advice. I don't know about in America, but in the UK, we have social services. Seek advice to social services and social services will do a risk assessment and support them. If, for example, the family has over 23000 in their bank account, then they will consider it as a private resident. They will have to choose a care home privately. My advice is, first of all, word of mouth. If people in the area, friends, someone who has already someone in a care home where you can get feedback, go and visit the care home, take your mom and dad with you, see how it is, join the activities, eat with them, speak to the staff, speak to the resident. Go a couple of times on a Saturday, for example, or during the day in the morning to make sure that your loved one is comfortable there and like it. And then decide from there. But there's a lot of care homes, lots of good care homes and lots of bad care homes. We have a reputation of bad, but however, it has changed. In the UK, we are regulated by the Care Quality Commission. We are like the inspectors. We have very high standard. We have lots of policies, procedures in terms of promoting dignity, zero tolerance of abuse and so on. But I think choosing the right care home is a personal choice. It's a personal choice. And depending as well on your budget, because there is some luxury care home, there's some all right care home, small care home. But it depends on personal choices. And it's very important that they get their loved one to be involved. It's a tough decision. Going in a care home is like buying a house. It's like buying a car. It's, it is expensive. But unfortunately, like us, for example, we're working now to save our money because in the future, it will go in a care home. But that's life. Yeah. To backtrack a little bit, maybe we should talk a little bit more about what is dementia and what's the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, but that's a good question, Sherilyn. So dementia is a big umbrella. There's around 200 types of dementia. So Alzheimer's is one of them and is the most popular one. Sometimes when you ask people about dementia, they don't know. But when you say Alzheimer's, we will know. Some people also remember it, like, for example, our latest pope had Alzheimer's. In the UK, there was a famous celebrity, Dame Barbara Windsor, who had Alzheimer's. Then people associate and know about Alzheimer's. But it's a big umbrella. What happened when someone got dementia is in their brain, their cells die little by little. And that's where they lose their memories. They change their personalities. They forget things and so on. Even now, there's lots of research being done. Some people can have two types of dementia. They can have Alzheimer's and vascular together. It's quite interesting to understand dementia. Mm -hmm. What are some early signs that we should be looking for? I get this very often. 
first of all, we shouldn't look for this. Everyone is worried about their mom and dad or their grandma or granddad. The first sign is forgetfulness. Sometimes, you know, if a person is getting confused with their words or are not able to do their work or struggling at work. I met someone at one of the Alzheimer's show. He was talking about his dad who wasn't diagnosed with dementia because that was during COVID. I think the guy was around 19. He found the sign of dementia where his dad couldn't go at work. He was crying all the time. And when he came home, he couldn't make a cup of tea. He was mixing sugar with tea and not able to put the kettle on. I think it's recognizing those signs first. And also you will see as well if someone is getting confused. Sometimes if you go in a supermarket, if someone is struggling with money or struggling paying at the supermarket or not able to cross the road, for example, I always offer my help. And I'm also a dementia champion in my community where I train people to recognize those signs. Also, neglect, for example, if you notice that someone is unkept, there's change of personalities, she used to wear makeup, she used to have her hair done nicely, and then suddenly you see that someone is neglecting because she forgets how to do her buttons, for example, she forgets how to put her socks, then we need to guide them to seek help. So let's say someone has been diagnosed with dementia or early onset cognitive impairment. How can we support them in terms of like their day-to-day How can we help them maintain their autonomy as long as possible? Let me maybe take an example with you showing. If you are diagnosed with dementia, I don't think you will appreciate that all your friends or family keep calling you, keep saying, are you right, Shirin? Why don't you go and see this specialist? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Why don't you go to this care home, blah, blah, blah. I think we should first speak to that person. It's very important as well to know their wishes. Early onset dementia is affecting a lot of people recently. I met people in their 50s. I think it's about speaking to that person. How you can support is being a friend to listen. There's a group in the UK. It's a very popular group, that group people with dementia. I met some during my university because they done a, a seminar. So what they were saying is when they were first diagnosed with dementia, everybody was nice to them. But when the dementia progressed, people started to take a distance, which is sad. You will lose family, you will lose some friends, you will lose your job. How to support them is speak to them. Let's say, for example, if they can't drive, if they want you to drive them to the hospital for the appointment, it depends on the person. I think every individual are different. Depends as well of if someone is diagnosed early in the 50s, they're quite fit. If someone is diagnosed with dementia in their 80s, who got arthritis, who can't walk, they're different. It's about seeing the person individually, I would say. Yeah. So trying to figure out where they're at in their own head, what they feel like they need, as opposed to just assuming. Yes. And also try not to do too much as well, because I don't think people will appreciate, you You know, you keep, um, you, you won't be this, you won't that, you won't be this, you won't that. Yeah. But give that person space as well, because it's a very early stage, is that stage where they get confused, they're in denial, they're rejecting, they can go into depression as well, they can be very upset, they can be very moody as well, swear at you, it's being patient. And there are also groups for family members that they can meet over family members who have a loved one with dementia, mm-hmm. where they can have a support group. You know, there's a lot of books as well. Yeah. I hope I was able to answer your question. Yeah, this is all very helpful. It's really hard to know sometimes what the best way to support people is. And I think you bring up a great point, which is 
just ask them. <laughs> Sometimes it's the most obvious answer, but we don't think about it. Yeah. The disease will progress at various speeds for different people, right? There's no typical timeline, is there? I think it depends on the lifestyle. It depends on the person. If someone had another stroke, for example, the dementia might progress. I have known some people who got vascular dementia who is still maintaining a good quality of life for the last five years. My partner, for example, I call her grandmother Vera. Her dementia was very quick. She was diagnosed within one or two years she passed away. It depends on each individual. And it depends on the medical condition as well. If let's say, for example, if someone has a history of stroke or diabetic, it depends on their medical history. But what everybody is saying is, you know, if you want to maintain the dementia, having some exercise, healthy eating, cutting down smoking, drinking alcohol, those are true. Those are tips that people have been preaching, having a healthy lifestyle, because there has been no cure. There are medications that are slowing down the dementia, but we're still very, very far away from that. It's still progressing. That's why I'm a big advocate about dementia, to encourage people to support charities, help people to develop that awareness so that you can one day find a cure for dementia. That would be the big day. <laughs> yeah. Before we do our last segment, do you have any advice for people you want to end with? For me, it's about raising awareness. How we can raise awareness is by talking, breaking the ice. If you knew, for example, someone got dementia, don't be afraid to talk. You're not going to be name and shame in your community. Forget about them. Put your loved one first. We have to break the taboo. We can't break it if we don't talk. My advice as well is for the young generation to join the care sector, which is a really great sector that I've been working for the last 16 years. It's a very rewarding job. If anyone has some free time, for example, why don't they volunteer in a care home? They can help with gardening, they can help with some activities. Or they can also volunteer for charities, which I mean, I don't call myself a champion, but I've been volunteering for, as I'm a research for the last 10 or 11 years, where I do half marathons to raise money for them, which is very rewarding. So it's something that I would advise everyone if they have time, of course. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk about that. One last thing at the beginning of the conversation, you talked about how in Mauritius, that is still taboo. Do you feel like there has been progress in Mauritius or do you still feel like it's the same and we still have a long way to go? We have a very long, long way to go. I did try in 2018. I tried to introduce the Dementia Friends Champion in Mauritius where I met some doctors, nurses and so on. But unfortunately, in Mauritius, all the non-profit organizations are controlled and managed by the government. So a lot of their projects are not continuity. Every time they keep changing people, they keep changing staff as well. They move around and move across. There's no continuity. I have been approached by a lot of people who ask me, why don't I go back home to open my own care home? For me, I think I have a lot of things to, first of all, is to finish my PhD. Then I will think about the future. But I think in Mauritius, dementia has changed a little bit. I manage some Facebook groups, support group for dementia for Chinese community. There's a lot of people now talking about it, asking advice and so on. I think it, it is changing and I think it's changing for good, but I'm not there in Mauritius. I don't really know how to inspect their care homes. So I think there's no inspection in care homes, whereas in the UK or in America or in the Europe, we have uh, external bodies who come and inspect care homes. But in there's no regulators. 
So homes like mushrooms. There are some where you grew up in Bejitongo, there's some special care homes only for Chinese people, which I find it quite interesting that there was only Chinese people there, <laughs> Chinese Mauritian. Yeah, I have thoughts. I'm the first to admit that Mauritius is known for its diversity, but then there's also still a lot of racism. It's not the same as the racism that you get in the US or the UK, but there's, yeah, having, I'm not a big fan of having Chinese-only care homes. <laughs> <laughs> you said you have been a moderator for several Chinese exchange groups. Do you actually speak Chinese? Any Chinese language? Uh, no. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, me neither. <laughs> I was just wondering. When I first came to the UK, I went to a Chinese shop and there was a small, cute lady talking in Chinese with me. I said, sorry, I don't speak Chinese. She got so offended. She told me, you look like me. Shame on you. You don't speak Chinese. Shame on you. Then I started to say, oh, I speak Hakka because my grandma speaks Hakka, which is a dialect of Chinese. Yeah. And then she said, yes, Kong, Kong, speak. And then she said, see, learn Chinese. But it's something that I would like to learn one day at the moment because I'm doing so many things. Maybe when I'm retired, I want to learn Chinese, but I don't speak Chinese. No, <laughs> I look Chinese. I got a French accent. I don't speak Chinese, unfortunately. But, you know, I'm very proud. I'm very proud of my culture. I celebrate Chinese New Year. I'm part of China Exchange. I'm also part of a community group, British Chinese Society, where they invited me last week to do a speech for the Southeast Asian heritage, promoting our community. Yeah. Yeah, cool. We have a last section called the rapid fire questions. These are just short answer questions. They're just fun. You don't have to think about it too much. There's no wrong answer. And it's one word or one phrase answers. You don't have to explain anything, but you can if you want to. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> okay. What's an Asian food that you should like, but don't? I mean, I like all Asian food. <laughs> <laughs> That's a valid answer. Yeah, same here. We do too. What is an Asian food that you'll never get tired of? I would say the crispy pork belly. I'm obsessed with that. <laughs> what is your favorite thing to do when you're not working? Dog walking. I have a schnauzer. Oh my God, my dog is a schnauzer too. <laughs> That's so funny. Favorite Mauritian Sega? Aladila. Yeah, classic. Do you identify more as Chinese, Mauritian, British, or a combination? This one is confusing because every time when I have that question on, at the airport or applying for a job, I'm always not sure if I should put over. Yeah. But I started to get used to it now to call myself British, Chinese, Mauritian. It's a very difficult one for me. It depends. It depends on my mood. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that, you know. Yeah, same. Sometimes I feel more one thing than another, just depending on my mood. Yeah. Yep. But I find it very funny where people ask me those questions where I find sometimes, I did find it a bit offending. Where are you from? When I say, well, I'm from Essex. Oh, where are you from originally? Right. There's always a question where they look at you because I look Chinese. They want to know and they keep asking. But I do take it with like a pinch of salt now. I take it as a compliment. People are very interested when I talk about Mauritius, when I talk about my Chinese culture. It's, it becomes a hot topic where it breaks the ice and we start to talk about food, talk about X, Y, Z. For me, I'm very proud to have a Chinese origin. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. We really appreciate everything you've shared. Well, thank you both. Thank you, Sherilyn. Thank you, Ari, as well. I had a great time talking about dementia, which I'm very passionate. Thank you so much. Yeah, we can hear that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> also, keep up the good work. Thanks. Here are our takeaways for today's episode. Number one, your high school grades are not the end-all be-all. Even though he failed his high school exams, Nicholas earned a master's degree and hopes to pursue a PhD, all while working in a field that he is clearly very passionate about. 
Number two, asking people what support looks like to them instead of taking over and telling them what to do is likely a more productive strategy, at least while they're still quite independent. Number three, dementia is a fatal illness that still has no cure, but it can be prevented or delayed through lifestyle changes. Be sure to check the show notes for more information on what you can do to reduce dementia risk for you and your loved ones. Number four, recognizing early signs of dementia and seeking diagnosis is key in order to start treatment as soon as possible. Number five, there are two types of professional care to consider. With home care, someone comes to the patient's house and helps them with self-care, hygiene, chores, anything that they need. With nursing homes or care homes, the patient moves to a home that is shared with other residents where staff is typically available 24-7. Food, recreational activities, and other services such as laundry are typically included. Nursing home settings can be beneficial as social interaction is a key factor in reducing dementia risks. If you found this episode valuable, I would highly encourage you to share it with friends, family, loved ones, anybody who might be interested in this information. The statistics show that a lot of dementia cases could be prevented if we knew what to look for and if we knew what lifestyle changes could help us avoid it. And given that education around dementia is relatively low in most Asian American subgroups, it might be a good idea to share this with as many people as you can. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, it would be extremely helpful if you were to go to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a rating and a review with text in it so that other people might be more likely to click on our podcast and listen to it. We have one more episode for this season coming up next week, and we are planning an event on Zoom that will be free for anybody who wants to attend. So if you're interested in that, send us a message on Instagram or TikTok or an email at nuancespodcast at gmail.com. That's it for today. I'm your host, Lazu, and I'll see you next week for another Nuance Conversation. Mm-hmm.